0: Okay, well, last week we started a brand new series, and the series is basically focusing on uh, a topic that 90% of all Americans do weekly. And do you remember what that was from last week? What is it? That's right, Pray. So if you weren't here, just look at the series titles, and they'll help you out every once in a while, you know? You can just look at those, and that'll do it. Now, the interesting thing about prayer is that many of us pray for things or pray about things that uh, don't stretch our prayers very much. We have kind of these uh, nice, tidy, neat, little, small, little prayers, but they don't have much power to them. And so last week we talked about praying with power and praying not just general prayers about anything, but praying very, very big prayers, but with a very, very specific focus. Now, quite honestly, some of the things that people pray for, uh, to me, is is quite hilarious, actually. Uh, for example, uh, there's a prayer that maybe your parents uh, prayed with you when you were growing up as a child. And just imagine, this is how this usually worked, if this was you. They would take the three-year-old place the three-year-old in a dark room all by themselves, and then they would leave the room. But before they would leave the room, they would pray this prayer. And uh, if you want to join along with me, you can on this prayer. Here's the prayer. Now I lay me, what? Down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul will take. Nighty-night, princess. Sweet dreams if you make it through the night. And like, what's up with that? It's crazy to do that, to say, well, if you die, you know, to your kids. Another prayer that I think is very funny, and I don't mean to offend anybody on this, but uh, this is a funny prayer to me is when people pray uh, over their food before they get ready to eat. And they'll typically pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And then God, like, looks at the plate of food that you're getting ready to eat, and He says, seriously? Like, It takes more faith for me to do that than it does to part the Red Sea. I mean, just imagine that. That, you know, you go to a fast food restaurant and you're there and you're like, Dear God, please bless this double bacon greasy cheeseburger and these super-sized fries and this super-sized Dr. Pepper and these fried cheese sticks. And God, as I'm tearing into this... Peanut Buster Parfait, right now, I ask that you do a miracle. That you would create this to have nourishment for my body as if I were eating grilled chicken, broccoli, and kale. And it's just ridiculous what we pray. That's why when I'm eating bad, I'm at a fast food restaurant, I never pray that it nourishes my body because it doesn't. You know what I pray? God, give me great joy. Give me great joy as I eat this all by myself. Now today, I want to talk to you about a serious prayer, a more specific prayer, that a guy by the name of Paul prayed. Paul uh, is a guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And he says that maybe the most important prayer that you can pray for other Christian people that you love is this, and here's the prayer. You pray that they would continue to be active in sharing their faith. And so that's your first fill-in-the-blank. If you want to go on our app, the JAR app, you can. You can just type it in. Um, But he says, a prayer that's really important for Christians that you love is that you pray that they would continue to be active in sharing their faith. Now, Why would Paul say this? Well, let me give you a little background uh, to a story of a letter that Paul wrote to a friend of his by the name of Philemon. And you can read it this week. It's only one chapter. That's all it is. One chapter, and you can read it this week. This was actually a personal letter that Paul writes. So all the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament in the second half of the Bible are to groups of people or to churches. But this is the only letter that we have that is written as a personal letter to one person. So Paul, he writes to Philemon, and you need to know who uh, Philemon is. Philemon was a very successful business person, and he had a house church in his house. And so he would invite people over. Uh, When the early church first started, they met in homes, and they would all have church right there. And so here's this successful business guy, and he has this small uh, church meeting in his home. Well, one of his slaves, uh, they owned slaves back in those days, and so one of his slaves escaped, and his name was Onesimus. And so Onesimus runs away from his master, from Philemon, and he runs away, far away, all the way to Rome. And he meets up with, guess who? With Paul. And Paul, at this time, is one of the greatest leaders in this new movement called the Way, or Christianity. Now, we don't know exactly what happened with this conversation, but what we do know is this, that Paul actually led... Anisimus into a personal relationship with Jesus. And Onesimus kind of becomes like massively transformed. His life does a total 180. Things are changing in his life. And he's sold out for Christ. And everything's going well. And all of a sudden, he's like, ah! Ah, man, I need to go back to Philemon, who I ran away from. And I need to make things right. I mean, if I'm going to do this Jesus thing the right way, I've got to do things the right way. And so I need to go back to him and make things right. And so what does Paul do? Paul writes to Philemon, his friend, and he vouches on behalf of his slave, a guy named Onesimus. Basically, he says this, Philemon, you need to understand, Onesimus is a totally different guy now. His life has been turned upside down. He is following Christ. I'm telling you, greet him, receive him, just like you would your own brother. And so Paul's writing this very heartfelt kind of emotional plea to his friend, this business owner who owned this slave, who ran away. And now we're going to look at just a few portions of the story. In verse 4, it says this. Again, Paul is writing to his buddy. Philemon and he says this, I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers. And then he says, I'm going to thank you for two things. I'm thankful for two things. First of all, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second reason is this. He says, it's because of your and can you finish those last four words? Because of your what? Love for all the saints. Love for all the saints. Love, for all the saints. Love for all of the Christians that you know. Paul is clear. I thank God because of your faith in Jesus Christ and for your love for all of your fellow Christians. All the people you go to church with. Then in verse 6, this is what Paul says. He says, I pray that you may be what? What's the last five words? Active in sharing your faith. Active in sharing your faith. Why? Why? Now, don't miss this. Here's that little phrase. Remember the phrase that we talked about? When you pray, you should pray for, I'm going to pray for this, and then what's the next two words? So that I will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So let's read this whole verse all together in one voice. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that, you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So why did he pray this? Why does he pray this prayer? The answer is right in front of you. So that you have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Now, what I often do when I read Scripture is that, Many times what I'll do is I'll read into the text as well as I try to understand the background. This is what uh, I often try to learn. And so I'll start asking questions like, you know, what else could have been going on in this story as I'm reading it? Now, again, folks, this is just theory. This is not me saying this is in the Bible. It's not. But I try to understand, like, what's going on? What's in the culture? What would have maybe happened in this story? So just imagine this for a second. Onesimus, he he runs away from his master, Philemon. And he runs so far away that he eventually gets to Rome and he meets up with Paul. And maybe he's hurting. Or maybe he's afraid. Or maybe spiritually he just feels disconnected and he's not really sure if there is even a God out there that cares about him because he's a slave. Or maybe something like that. And he meets Paul and he and Paul like have this connection together and they start talking together and pretty soon they build a friendship with one another. And Paul hears part of his story. He's like, "Ah, dude, he's like, you're like me. There was one time in which I was like killing Christians and I was running away from God so much. But finally, I really met this Jesus. And when I met him, my life changed and you need to meet him, too. And then something happens, and Onesimus, the slave, is like, yeah, I need that. He prays, and boom! He is totally transformed. And Paul starts talking to him like, now where are you from? And Onesimus says, well, I used to work for this guy named Philemon. And Paul's like, Philemon? You mean Philemon, the business guy? He's like, yeah. He's like, ah. Oh. He's like, I know Philemon. He's got a church that meets in his house. And, you know, he's such a great guy. And I really, really like this guy. And, and, and wow. And then he's like, whoa, whoa, wait. Wait, wait, wait. So, you've been a slave in his house this whole time. And he's never told you about Jesus? He never, like, welcomed you in to be a part of this Jesus movement that's going on? He didn't do that? And so he writes, he goes, Philemon, I thank God that I hear about your faith in Jesus and your love for what? Who's he thanking him for again? His love for all the saints. And you're like... And it's like Paul saying, Hey, you're doing a great job. You're loving all of the Christians. Way to go. But maybe if you're reading into this a little bit, perhaps Paul's saying, But wait a minute. Um, Don't forget to share your faith actively, especially those people that you see every single day. The slave was in his house. Every single day. He was connecting with him daily. I pray that you would continue to be active in sharing your faith. The reason I think Paul was doing this is because he knew something that you and I know. Paul prays this way because he knows something that every single one of us knows. And it's this. That if we're not careful, we come to a relationship with Christ. But over time, as we move away from that transformative moment, we don't become outward focused. We become what? Inward focused. And we start becoming selfish and self-centered. And that's the kind of version of Christianity that we start living out. I mean, instead of loving those individuals who are far from God, we start judging people who are far from God. Instead of reaching out to them, we start retreating and trying to get away. And you'll start hearing Christ followers sometimes do this. Boy, the world is bad. Like, the world is so bad, you should stay away from the world. And stay away from those people who are far from God. Those non-Christians, you know what they do? They watch R-rated movies. They do. They watch R-rated movies. And don't have your kids hanging around kids who are non-Christian. You know why? Because they watch Spongebob. And we laugh at it, and those things might not be your things, but we have a tendency to start judging those who we think we're better than. And did you realize that there are a lot of people that you think you're better than? You, you might say, oh, no, 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 I'm not. No, you do. You go through your day. You make judgments all the time. And I have seen it so many times that Christ followers, this is what they do. They run and they hide. And you know where they typically hide? In the church. They hide in the church and they're like, oh, I did everything good. And then Monday comes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through Saturday. And they never engage with people who are messy, who are far from God. Now folks, here's the deal. The last thing that Jesus said before he ascended back into heaven, he, was, he said this. He said, all you Christians, go and hide in your homes. Is that what he said? No. He didn't say that. The very last thing he said was, go into the world and shine. He's like, be bright. And he says, don't be afraid of darkness. Go into the darkness and bring light where there is darkness. But the problem is so often is that we become so inward looking that we don't even see the darkness anymore and we start arguing over stupid things in the church. Well, we never did that before. Or, you know what? The Greek translation of that word, Chris, was not exactly, you know, the true translation. Or you'll have people that will be like, You don't use the King James version of the Bible? Well, and all this kind of stuff. And you can almost hear Paul saying, don't do that, Philemon. Don't let it be like that with you. Be active in sharing your faith. Now, if you're sitting there right now and you're a Christ follower, you're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know how many times I've heard people stand up before and start teaching, hey, you need to share your faith. You should share Jesus with other people. But this is what I know too. You've heard it so many times. And you have gone in situations where you felt like you should have shared your faith. And you know what you did? You chickened out. You chickened out. And do you know why I know this? Because I chicken up. Last weekend, we had a joint birthday party for my two girls, Jordan and Shiloh, because their birthdays are close, and it's a lot cheaper just to have one party. You know what I mean? Like, that's a good thing. You have one party. Get all the family together. But I wonder if you can explain this to me. You get all the family together to celebrate a wonderful experience of these two little girls having another year of life. But every time you get all of the family together into one particular house, what is the experience that you have? Stress! It was like so stressful! The house had to be cleaned up. We had to go get birds barbecue to bring it over. We had to set up all the tables. Then we had to have dinner together. Then we had to have the cake together. And then we had to open all of the presents. And then of course, someone in the family always says something and you're like, "Did they just really say that?" Did they And then you sprinkle in a few arguments, a few disagreements, and the kids start tracking in mud over all of the carpet that you just cleaned up. And we just had a grand time last Saturday. And so by the time everything was done, I'm sitting on the couch and the family's still all talking, and I just start spacing out, vegging out, thinking, oh God, take me anywhere else except right here, right now, you know? And so I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden I thought, oh, the kids were outside, my nephews and my girls and some other friends, they were outside playing. I was like, I'm going to go outside and play. So I got, go outside our garage, and our garage door is open, and there's a basketball goal right in front of the garage door. And I walk out, and all my uh, girls are playing, and our nephews are playing, and the neighborhood kids are playing too. And I'm walking through the garage, and all of a sudden I hear the voice Of the father of our neighborhood kids. Now, I want you to know these are the neighbors that we have been praying for daily, that we have been connecting with weekly, and who we have been inviting to come and connect here at the Jar. And I started walking, like that's the edge of the garage, and I started walking, and I heard his voice, and I felt this prompting go out and invite him to church. And I took one more step, and this is what I started thinking. I don't want to be rejected again. I've invited that family 12 times at least to come to church. And if I go out there, he's a talker, and he's going to start talking. I just left in the, you know, from the family so I didn't have to talk to someone. And now I have to go and talk that. And you know what I did? I turned right around like this, and I walked right back into the house away from everybody. I'm not proud of it. In fact, this week, when we were praying as a staff, the Holy Spirit just kind of came to me and said, you confess this to your staff. You're up there talking about it all the time, and you walked away. And so I did. Folks, why is it that every single one of us in this gym this morning would say, it is important To share your faith. If you're a Christ follower, it's important to do that. And yet, why don't we do it more often? Well, these aren't necessarily in your notes, but here are some of the things I think. The first one is what I just talked about, and that is to be scared. That you just get scared. You get scared, and you get scared of being rejected. You don't want to be rejected. Here's another one. We get... Too busy. Life happens, and we're going so fast, and all of a sudden we can't remember the last time that we engaged to try to have a conversation with someone who was far from God. Here's another reason, I think, is we don't want to look weird. We just don't want to look weird. You know that guy, and I know that guy that you've seen before that comes up to you when you're on vacation, and they come up and they're like, Jesus loves you. In case you didn't catch it, Jesus loves you. Do you know Jesus? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't want to be that person. And we don't want to force our beliefs on other people. That's absolutely fair. But you know what I think the biggest reason is? Why we don't want to share our faith. I hear this all the time. This is what people say. They say, I just don't know enough. I just don't know enough. We feel like if we just knew some more, then we would share more faith. But I don't feel like I know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't pray enough. You know, I do the church thing. But honestly, outside of that, I just don't know enough. Now, here's the tension that I want you to see. We think if I understood more, if I understood more, then I would have more ability to share my faith. But Paul is implying just totally the opposite. He's saying, that's not what happens. He's saying, when you share your faith, what happens? You grow. When you step out and you share your faith, you actually grow. In other words, as you share more, you gain more understanding. The more that you share, the more that you understand who God is and what the Christian faith is all about. And conversely, this is true too, if you share little, you gain little understanding. Because people can sit in a room and read the Bible and pray for their entire lives. And not that it's wrong, but eventually you're going to hit your ceiling of how much You're going to grow. The way you grow is when you share your faith. Folks, if you want to grow in your understanding, you share your faith. I think that's why Paul, as he is praying for Philemon, he's saying, Hey man, love your church. Read your Bible. Pray. Those are all things to do. But don't forget. Don't ever, ever forget to be active in sharing your faith. And as you share your faith, you'll grow. And you will have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Then you'll live an outward-focused life and not an inward-focused life. Now, folks, we are full of people in this church who pray. In fact, on Wednesday, I want to challenge you guys to come to the prayer gathering that we're having at Young's Tidal at six o'clock. You can come at any time from six to eight. You don't have to stay the whole time. You're like, two hours. Are you serious, dude? No, no, no. You know say you can stay for five minutes, ten minutes. No one's going to ask you to pray out loud. There'll be a room in which on each of the walls, there'll be something for you to pray about, and you will go to that particular thing and you'll pray all the way through that. And I want to challenge you this Wednesday, Six o'clock, say I'm gonna do it. Fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, whatever. No one's gonna say anything to you. You'll come in and you'll simply pray. And last week we talked about prayer, right? We talked about the power that comes to prayer, to praying people. And today I want to add something for you to pray for. And it's this. That we are praying for other Jesus followers that we love. That's what Paul prays. He prays for other Jesus uh, followers that we love. And we're also praying for ourselves that we would continue to share our faith. So, you can pray for your teenagers. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for your spouse. You can pray for the staff here at the jar. You can pray for other Christians that you work with. You can pray for your small group. You can pray for me. And also, I want you to pray for yourself this week that you would be more active in sharing your faith in Christ. And when you do, Paul says this, you will have a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. Now, let me just warn you that if you do this, you start praying, God, give me an opportunity To show your love today. Give me an opportunity to share my faith today. You know what he's going to do? He's going to put people in front of your path that you're going to have opportunities to share your faith with. And what happens so often is when that happens, most people feel ill-prepared. And they're like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I don't feel prepared to say anything. So we're going to take all the excuses away. I'm going to give you four simple ways that you can share your faith, which are loosely related to some stories in the Bible. And you can do this. Every single one of you can pick one of these or multiple of these at different times in your life to share your faith. Here's the first one. It's very simple. Very, very simple. You can be loving, but direct. It's really, really important for you to be loving, but you can be direct. In fact, after Jesus died and he rose again three days later, and then he was witnessed by over 500 people in the next 40 days, then he ascended back into heaven. And as he ascended back into heaven, he said, I'm going to leave my spirit here. And he says, Peter, I want you, who was one of his best friends, he says, I want you to lead the church. And Peter was a fisherman. It's like, Peter, I I saw some guys last night that were fishing on the White River. And they were uh, out there, they're fishing. And it's like, they're fishing, and then Jesus would come up to them and say, Hey, I want you to follow me. And they leave everything, and they do that for three years, and they're trained. But then finally, the fisherman has his moment. He stands before a group of people, and there are thousands and thousands of people. Here is this Not very educated fisherman who has to carry on the message of this amazing teacher, Jesus. And you would think, well, what's he going to say? What's it going to look like? Well, he shares something very direct. And this is what Peter said. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Boom. Hashtag direct. I mean, think about that. Jesus is talking about love and he was just on a cross and all this kind of stuff. And you know what Peter does? He stands up in front of thousands of people and he goes, you're messed up. I'm messed up. But some of you, you haven't repented of your sins. You have not turned away from your sins and turned towards Christ. And you need to do that today. Hashtag direct. He's like in their face. You need to repent and do that. And folks, this is what I found. There will be times in which the Holy Spirit will come to you and will say, I need you to be direct, loving, but I need you to be direct in this moment. Now, you don't do it all the time. And some of you probably have friends that they think they switched it around. Be direct and then add love if you have to. Okay? And you see that all the time. And if you're direct with people all the time, you're always like in their face, repent and be baptized. You know what? You become Jerko Christiano. That's who you become, Jerko Christiano. You don't do it. You only are that direct when the Spirit leads you. Several years ago, I was uh, visiting someone at the uh, jail, the Delaware County Jail. And it was on my day off, and so uh, typically on my day off, I don't, you know, look as good as I am right now, you know. And so uh, I had some khaki shorts, and I had a, a polo on, and I walk up, and I get my cell phone out and I give my cell phone to the uh, deputy sheriff and I'm getting ready to go through the metal detector. And this deputy sheriff looks at me and says, can you read? I'm like, I think so. Pretty good. He's like, can you read the sign? No cell phones. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't know. So I take my cell phone, go back out to the car, leave it in the car, come back in, getting ready to walk in again. He's like, visitation's over. I said, okay, um, well, they, I'm a pastor, and they told me that if I came up here, I could visit you know, this person any time. And then the person kind of looked at me, you know, with my khaki shorts and this polo, and he's like, let me see your pastor ID. Okay, no problem. Pull out my pastor ID, show it to him. Okay, going on. Up. So I go, several years passed by. And one Sunday, I'm up here teaching, and over there in this back corner, uh, I notice that there's this gentleman in a walker, and he walks in, and he sits down, and he has a baseball cap on, and I can't really tell who he is, but for several weeks, he comes in with his wife and with some family members. And after a few weeks, at the end of a teaching one day, I'm walking out this way, I'm getting ready to walk out the door, and the wife comes up to me and says, hey, my husband really wants to talk to you. And I said, oh, I said, I can, but I'm going to greet people at the front door first and I'll come back. She said, okay. So I still didn't recognize who the guy was. And so I'm at the front door. I walk back to the gym and he's got his head down and he walks toward me and he goes, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I go down the hallway where the racquetball court is. I get out a couple of chairs and uh, he kind of sits down and I sit down, I look at him and it is that deputy sheriff that was such a jerk to me. And he sits down and this is what he said. He said, I have brain cancer. I'm not expected to live much longer. I know I have really not been close to God and I want to be right with God. Now, in that moment, I could have said a lot of things, but I get this prompting from God that says, you be direct. And, uh, I said, well, what's your name? He said, my name's Claude. I said, Claude, well, if I were you, I'd do it today. I mean, like right now, right here, we're going to make things right with God. You and God are going to be made right. You ready to do it? He's like, yep. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to lead you through this prayer, and we're going to lead this through your prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to confess some sins. And I mean some of the stuff in your life that you are not very happy about. He's like, okay. And uh, he said, should I take my hat off? I said, you want to take your hat off? Yeah. Take your hat off. So he takes his hat off. And I lead him in a prayer with Christ. And for the next several months, he had freedom and joy and peace in his life. The family was like, he is totally transformed. He looks totally different. And on May 26th of last year, Claude died. And you know what? Claude's in heaven today, not because of me, but because of Christ. But you know what I'm so grateful for? That I was direct in that moment. That I didn't try to do a nice little, oh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And how how can I pray for your cancer? And no, 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 no. You got to be loving, but you got to be direct. Next thing, you can share your story a simple way. All of you have a powerful story. People are like, no, my story's... No, no, no. If you're in Christ, you have a powerful story. A powerful story. In John's gospel, which the word gospel simply means good news, so John, one of Jesus' followers, is sharing this good news, and in chapter 9, he tells this story about a man that was born blind, and Jesus comes to him, and he restores his sight. And... All of a sudden, when this happens, all the Pharisees, all the religious leaders start getting together and they're like, ugh, what are we going to do this? And so they start questioning. This man who was born blind. They're like, who caused his blindness? I bet it was his sin. I bet it was his parents. Oh, Jesus healed him, but he healed him on the Sabbath day? Oh, that's against the law too. And maybe he wasn't even blind. Maybe he and Jesus got together and he said, hey, I want everyone to think that I'm pretty big and bad, so here's 20 bucks, and I'm going to say that you're blind, but then I'm going to put my hands on you, and then you'll be able to see. And all the Pharisees are coming up with all of this kind of stuff. And finally, they go to the man himself who was blind, but now he sees. And he says, hey, what's the story? He's like, hey guys, I don't know all about your theological debates. I don't know about all these different things that you're talking about. I'm not smart enough to do all of that. And then he said this, this is what I know. All I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. You can argue all you want. You can say whatever you want. You can say all kinds of stuff that you want to. This is what I'm telling you. Yesterday, I could not see a thing. Jesus came into my life today, and I can see. And by the way, you're kind of ugly now because you're ugly when you're mean. And I could tell you were mean, but I just couldn't tell. And actually, it's ugly when you're mean. Folks, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see Now, here's the thing. Some of you have a most powerful weapon of love that you could ever imagine, and you're not using it. And some of you, your stories are like this. All I know is that I was an addict. I was addicted to things. But Jesus came into my life, and I'm not one anymore. All I know is I was hurting, and I felt like no one cared for me, but Jesus came into my life, and now I never feel alone. All I know is that I was lost, but Jesus came into my life and now I'm found. All I know is I was depressed and down and discouraged. But now, not that every day is happy, but every day I live in joy. Folks, simply tell your story. When you tell your story, it is amazing what God can do between you telling your story and that person for their life to be changed. And have you ever noticed that when you start telling your story, all of a sudden sometimes God will actually put some things that the two of you have in common. They interact, they overlap with the person that you're sharing it with. Oh, I lost my child too. Oh, I went through a painful divorce too. Oh, I was rejected by the church too. Oh, I was addicted to porn too. Oh, I was... Bankrupt too. Oh, I had this happen to me. But this is what God did. Okay, so you're loving but direct. You share your story. Here's the third thing. You can invite people to church. It doesn't get any more simple than that. You just invite them to church. You say, hey, would you like to go to church with me? And they're like, how long is it? well, the band is really, really good, you know? Now, would you like to go? It can't get easier than that. In fact, this is exactly what happened in John chapter 4. Jesus has this interaction with a woman who is a Samaritan, who are the outcasts of society. They're half Jews, half Gentiles, so no one cares about them. She's a woman. No person like Jesus, who was a rabbi, a good teacher, would ever approach her. But they're at this well one time, and he does a very loving and caring thing. He says to her this, "Uh, Ma'am, I know that you've been married five times, and the person that you're shacking up with right now is not your husband. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound very loving. But she's like, how did you know that? And He said, basically, he goes, well, I see that you're thirsting for something more, but... You're never going to find it in this water that's right here. He says, I will give you living water, something that I'll give you that you'll never thirst again. And the woman is so moved by this. You know what she does? She runs to the town, to the community she's in. And this is what she tells them. She says, come and see this man who told me everything I have ever done. Just come and see. Just come and see. Just come and check it out. Folks, you can do that. Every single one of you can do that. You can go to someone and just say, hey, come and see. Just, just come and see. There's a young woman in our church who started attending a couple of years ago. And when she first started coming, she was going through a painful divorce. There were some uh, traumatic things that had happened uh, to her. But over a couple period of time, she just kept coming each Sunday. And uh, she brought her young daughter and the two of them just kept coming. And she started growing in her faith. And a lot of the pain that she was experiencing started going away. And she started kind of getting healed from some of this. And at the beginning of the year, you might remember that we had this concept called circle of three. If you don't have three people that you're investing in, people who are disconnected from Christ for the church, write them down, send them to me. But think of somebody, even if it's just one person, whatever it is. And, and we talked about, you know, praying daily for them and connecting weekly and inviting them regularly. And so at the beginning of the year, I kind of shared this, and she emailed me three names. And uh, this woman is a public school teacher, and two of the people that she wrote down were both public school teachers as well. And they were her friends. And she's like, I really care about my friends. I I love my two friends. And so I want them to be connected to to what God's kind of been doing in my life. And so she prayed and she simply went up to them and said, how would you like to come to church with me? And both of them were like, yeah, we'll come. And this is what the coolest thing for me is as a pastor. It's not necessarily how much more we're growing, you know, and, and numbers and that kind of thing. You know what's cool for me? Every time I get to be with a group of people where I can see that God's working and moving and changing their lives. And on Mother's Day, we're out in the lobby. And here's this woman and her young daughter and her family. And then there are these two friends of hers and their families. And they're all there in the lobby together. And we're talking to each other. And my heart is so Full. And I'm like, but what would have happened if she would have chosen to just take that circle of three card, throw it away before she left, never looked outside herself. What would have happened? Two of those friends would have never been sitting in chairs in this place. And this is the thing, folks. You've got some friends. You've got some friends. And you may be the only lifeline that they have to get connected to God. And the question is, are you going to ask them? Will you invite them? Fourth thing. You can live a life that other people will want. Wouldn't that be cool? You just keep living a life that other people want. Paul, the guy who wrote to Philemon, also had another friend, a guy by the name of Silas. And he and Silas, you can read their story in Acts 16. It's a crazy story. But the two of them get together, and you know what happens? They get thrown in jail. (laughs) Some of you are like, I got a friend like that, you know. But they get thrown in jail for their faith. And basically they get arrested, they're in prison... And these crazy guys, this is what they do. They're in the midst of jail, and you know what they do? They look at each other and are like, hey man, let's start praising God. And so the two of them are like singing songs to God, and worshiping God, and doing all this cool stuff with God, and the jailer notices all of this, and he's thinking, most people when they get to jail, they don't start just worshiping God, and praising God, and and doing all this stuff, and in the midst of all that, there is this earthquake that comes. God is the one who sends this earthquake, and the jail doors go wide open, and they're free, and the jailer yells out, well, I might as well kill myself, Because if they walk out of this jail, they're going to kill me. And he's just getting ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas yell back to him and say, Don't kill yourself. We're not walking out the door. And they gave this wonderful act of love. And the jailer looks at them, and this is what it says. What must I do to be saved? You know what that's translated to? you got something in your life that I want you got something in your life that I want. Well, this summer, we are going to be active in our faith. And the way we're going to do this is I'm challenging every single one of you. So, if you don't meet the challenge, it's on you. But I'm challenging every single person here, every single day of the summer, To do one random act of kindness. Not two, not three, not four. Don't do ten on the first day and then don't do any the rest of the summer. Some of you are overachievers. I know what you're like. You just do one each day. One random act of kindness each day. Now, what are some of the things that you could do? Well, here's some of the things. You could pay for the person behind you at a drive-thru. You could pay for someone's coffee. I mean, you might have to take out a loan if you're at Starbucks, but you can, you know, pay for somebody's coffee. Give a generous tip at a restaurant more than you would to the server. You could give some money to a homeless person. Many ways, you could use your resources on small amounts of money to be able to care for someone. Now, some of you are sitting there and like, dude, I, I don't have any money. I mean, we're just barely making it. I don't have extra stuff. Okay. That's cool. My family was at Fazoli's about a month ago. And Jennifer and I and the two girls, we walk in, and there is a kid. Remember the movie Chucky? Remember Chucky? This kid was like Chucky. Some of you who are very young. What was the name of the movie? What? Child's Play. Play. (laughs) You can see I watched it a lot. I just remember Chucky the doll. And its kid was crying and just ah, and mad and mean and, ah, and screaming and yelling. It was horrible. And everybody in the restaurant was looking at it, and they're all agreeing, like, that kid is out of control. And we go up, we get our food, and we go and we sit back down, and we all sit down, and my wife goes, I cannot believe someone is not helping that poor young mom. She had two kids with her. One kid was okay, the other one's out of control. And I was like, oh. And all of a sudden, she stands up. She walks all the way. I couldn't really tell what was going on, but she told me this story. She walks up to this young mom, one screaming kid, the other one. She walks up to him and says, "Uh, hey, can I help with anything? And you know how moms are. They'll always be like, no, 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 it's okay. It's under control. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I know what it's like. I've been alone with two small children in a restaurant, and one, you know, is struggling. And I get it. Can I help you? And the woman said this. She said, well, my husband and I just moved to Anderson. He works later than I do. And I came here with my two kids, but my youngest child has a sensory processing disorder. And we thought this restaurant would be okay. But once we got here, he just got out of control and he won't eat. And Jen said, it's okay. Why don't I just get all of your food? And I'll box it up. I'll go up there and I'll get all the boxes and I'll take care of it. So Jen goes up there. She boxes up all their food. And then she looks at the woman and she says, well, is there anything else I can do? And she's like, well, could you get one of those drink containers too? Jen's like, yeah, no problem. She goes up. She gets one of those drink containers. She comes back. And Jen goes, well, here, let me help with everything. And so she starts like, uh, she gets up. My wife, she's weird. She always has these wet wipes. And so she's like wiping the child that was not out of control, wipes off his face, gets them all ready. She says, let me help you get to the car. So they go all the way into the car. She puts the seat belt on him, gets them all taken care of, puts the to-go sack in the car. And she's gone during this whole time. And uh, the woman's like, oh, thank you so much, you know, and tells her, you know, I don't know if I could have done this without you. Now, while all of this is going on, I'm in here with the girls and we're eating, you know? I mean, we're really Jesus followers. We see things. And so we're eating. And all of a sudden, the manager comes up to us and the manager is just like bawling, just crying. And I'm like, "Uh, ma'am, are you okay? And she's like, oh, she's like, your wife, your wife, what she did for that young woman. It was just so amazing. And I just can't believe that she did this. And, like, sobbing, like, right at our table. And uh, she's like, would she like some cheesecake? (laughs) And uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, Jen doesn't like cheesecake. (laughs) But I do, you know? And... (laughs) So the lady's there, and she's like, no, no, would, would you like some cheesecake? And I, I was not thinking. I go, she doesn't like cheesecake. And she's like, oh, please tell her, though, it was such a beautiful thing to watch her care for that young mom. Folks, did you see what one simple act of kindness did? It changed. The whole environment of that restaurant, because one person chose on one time, and you know what? It didn't cost Jennifer anything. It didn't cost her a dime to do that. So what could you do? Your neighbors' trash cans are at the end of the road. The trash has already been taken up. Couldn't you just take theirs, walk it up to them? That's one. Couldn't you say, "Hey, I'm man, their yard's getting high. I'm going to mow their yard." Help a coworker with a project without being asked. Say, hey, how can I help you? Help a mom who's in a grocery store struggling with things. How many ideas could we come up with? And we'll be sharing many of those with you. And so this is what I'm challenging. I'm challenging everyone in the jar to do one random act of kindness. And this is our goal. I want you to know what the goal is. This is the goal. 5,000. 5,000 random acts of kindness this summer. 5,000. And this is where I came up with that number. There's a story about Jesus one time that fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he said he would give us power to do great things like that. So I was talking with the staff and the elders this week and we were being challenged back and forth, like, how big should the number be? And finally, I was like, 5,000. And so we're coming up with this concept called Summer of Kindness. Now, you might be thinking, you're a crazy bunch. There is no way this little church called The Jar is going to be able to do 5,000 random acts of kindness as a church. Well, I know we can't do it on our own, but I do think that we could do it with God's power. Remember that scripture last week? This is what it says. God, by his mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more. What's the next phrase? Immeasurably more than we could ever dare or ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. So starting today, I am challenging every single one of you to do one random act of kindness wherever you're at. And then we're going to be able to collect the information. I want you to put that act of kindness on our Facebook page. You can go to your app. We're going to have something on our app that you can do. We're going to have a phone number. How easy can it be to text? Some of you text so much. I mean, your phones are like blowing up. How about blowing them up with some acts of kindness? You could do that. And for those of you who are like, I don't know anything that you just talked about, we'll have a little card every single week that you can write those down. And each week we're going to keep track of them. And we'll let you know how we're getting closer to our goal of 5,000 acts of kindness. So that, so that what? The jar looks good. Oh, boy, look at the jar. No, 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 no. You know why we're doing this? So that God would get all the glory. That his name would be made great. Now, each week we're going to give you different things to do. And you all know the little free cards that we have. Um, I'm not sure if, uh, did you have some in your program today? Okay, we'll have them next week. But we'll have these little free cards, and every week we're going to have one, and this is what I'm challenging you to do. Six random acts of kindness, you don't have to give a card away. You just do it randomly. But one of those acts, you give the card and you let them know, and this is what it basically says. This is a simple way of saying that God loves you, no strings attached. And if they want to get connected in some way, they can Folks, God wants to do great things in the life of our community, in our state, in our nation. If you're on vacation, don't take a vacation off from doing acts of kindness. Text them to us. And I think God is challenging us to join him in feeding 5,000. And you know what we're going to feed 5,000 people with? Kindness and kindness and kindness. Are you with me? All right, let's stand for closing prayer. God, you who are so great, we thank you for all things. We thank you that you are a God who does greater and greater things than we could ever think or dare or imagine. And God, I pray right now that you would place through the power of your Holy Spirit a conviction on your people that this year or this summer, this summer of 2016 would be the summer of kindness where we blanket our community and every place we go with the kindness of God. And God, we're going to need your help to fulfill this, but we believe that you can do it if we'll step out in faith. And we're choosing to do that so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh first steps with Chris is